You're listening to the Punisher Waterfowls, the Union 0430 podcast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Got a special guest with me today. I got my buddy Sean Weaver here. They call him, as I heard recently, the South Dakota Duck Commander. And I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that on another podcast. Like I was doing some research and I, I was listening to the Kifaru cast with uh, Aaron Snyder there. So back way back before my first time I hurt my shoulder, I was really big into bow hunting. And so I really followed this Aaron Snyder guy and, and what he was doing. So now that he's got a podcast, I really like it. And then I was like, man, this dude's a traditional bow hunter and he has like a backpack company. Why is Sean yep. Weaver on this podcast? And it was, it's probably one of my favorite duck hunting podcasts I've heard. And, and <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, right? Like how, how did that come about? <laughs> well, you probably, what you probably liked is Aaron's super in-depth knowledge of all the species of ducks <laughs> as yeah. he sits there reading off a Google list. Yeah, he read off the Google list and he's like, greater something, lesser something, uh, mute swan. Those things are probably quiet. And I'm going, this is the greatest podcast <laughs> I've ever heard, right? Like, but yeah. it, it actually brought into light a lot of, you know, a lot of new hunters these days are like, they're here in Ontario, right? Like you've got um, your Barrows Golden Eyes a limit and they're like, oh shit, I don't I don't want to hit one of those and, and get in trouble if I hit two of them or, or whatever. And it can be daunting looking at all this. Like you're a deer hunter. Yeah. You look at your tag. It says you could shoot an antler deer or an antlerless deer. All right. I know what a deer looks like, but with yeah. ducks, it can be a bit daunting. Like that podcast itself brought out a lot of questions on how do we get more new hunters in, especially with the species. And you talked a lot about oh, that. Yeah, dude. I mean, I remember the first time I ever shot a hen bluebill, right? And I didn't know if it was a hen bluebill, a hen redhead, or a hen ringneck. Like, I was so new to it still, right? I was, you know, I was probably like, I'd guess 15. And I didn't, you know, it's like a diver female, but like you don't really know that much more than that. And it's super daunting for someone new to it. You get certain species that are really hard. And then you talk about, even when when it is that new hunters tend to hunt right they tend to hunt early season when everything's a brown duck anyway yeah like man where you're at yeah you guys starting in september everything's brown like everything telling the i mean luckily you know your guys's limits are a little like a little bit more liberal so it's a little there's a little more wiggle room there but man, if you're a new hunter and you're shoot all you're shooting at first light early in the season, all of a sudden you shoot two hen pintails, like that's there you go. You're already toast. Um and and so I think, man, we've like I've just talked with friends and talked about a lot of different ways we can better duck ID. I think overall it just brings about the point how important it is to mentor new hunters. Um I try my best to hunt with a lot of new hunters every year. Mm -hmm. um, sp specifically people that maybe have other hunting or fishing experience, but don't actually just waterfowl hunt. Um, Cause it get, you know, that, that curve, that learning curve gets accelerated so much. If you can have someone there with you that just definitively says, 
Like that's a hen pintail. Um, I've thought about this before, just starting a duck ID Facebook group where new hunters can just like, or Instagram page or whatever, new hunters can just send a picture while they're in the field and crowdsource the knowledge of like, what is that? Right. Yeah. Um, Cause when, when you're in the heat of the hunt, you need to know within like a minute or two what you shot. But like therein lies, like it's, it's almost hard to identify it afterwards. Like some people post a picture and it's just like, buddy, you just shot a grebe. And it's like, that's, yeah. you, you can't shoot those. Or like it's early teal season and they're shooting. We were talking about it a couple of weeks ago where, you know, early teal season, you'll get the odd uh, wood duck come in. Well, it's just a mullet teal, right? Like that, what do you say, you know? And yeah, it it is very hard to learn beforehand, right? And now you get to the point where you can see these birds in the air and you're just like, okay, there's a flock of whatever coming in, you know? And, and then, yeah, it so I've actually been, so South Dakota and Nebraska, uh, did a tiered license system or were test running a tiered license system where, uh, new hunters could select that their license instead of it. Um, sorry, one second. No, no. Uh, someone was trying to call me <laughs> instead of, uh, you being able to shoot six ducks and you're limit be you know one pintail or four mallards or whatever it may be uh in your respective flyway it's just three ducks any species any sex and i was critical of it at first and still have my questions about it with specifically in relation to canvasbacks and pintails right uh like there are certain areas you know let's say northeast iowa where on the mississippi river they can like that's the place to shoot canvasbacks right it's like pool eight miss pool eight of the mississippi well i wouldn't want people to be able to go select their tier three license to hunt there to shoot three canvasbacks person i like i don't like that gaming of the system mentality um but now somewhere like nebraska where you're you're making the argument that it's just a new hunter going out and they don't know what they're shooting at in the early season. So you don't want them to get over bagging on pintails or whatever. I like that idea. I just don't like the idea of that someone could game it to shoot the wrong or like to shoot more of pintails or more of canvas bags yeah. rather than it be a duck ID yeah. fix. Now, now when you talk about these tiered licenses, is it like, do they track like, Hey, you can't get this five years straight in a row. Like your first season, you can get it or it's not that sophisticated. Uh, no it's no it's not it's not that sophisticated it's just you you have one of two options right you can either just buy the regular license or the tiered license and yeah because like man there's always a loophole right like if you said someone could only get it for the first five years of hunting well what about someone that's always bought a hunting license for 20 years but they haven't hunted ducks mm -hmm. right they were buying it to hunt pheasants or deer or whatever else so I don't, I don't think there's like a fix all on it other than, I mean, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. I have my questions and critiques of it, but talking to Aaron and him like expressing so much nerves around, like him expressing so much nerves around just like duck ID in general, 
made me be like, okay, maybe, maybe I was too critical of the tiered license system. Yeah. But then you also hear him talk about like duck hunting is like, it's cold and miserable and wet and rainy. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'll take that any day versus hauling my ass up a mountain, shooting an elk and then carrying <laughs> that bastard down. Right. Like there, it, it's different perspectives on what you enjoy. And I think it's kind of like what, what kind of clicks with you and, and where your heart is at the time. Right. And that comes back to mentorship as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, it comes back to what clicks for you. It also just comes down to like, uh, like misnomers and misconceptions. Like, uh, one of like, I would argue my favorite reason to snow goose hunt is the meat literally, because it's my main protein source all year. I haven't bought any kind of protein in several months. The last thing I bought was some nice Hutterite steaks. <laughs> and like, other than that, I pretty much eat snow goose, duck, Canada goose, or pork from our family farm, like, like every day. And so for me, snow goose season is that time that I, um, like I fill my freezer, right? Mm -hmm. I can go in a week get several hundred snows that gives me hundreds of pounds of like pretty much a beef replacement protein for me yeah. uh, or venison replacement protein for me every year. But then there's people, for example, like Aaron or, you know, other, other, like, let's say big game hunters that have never hunted snow geese, never ate or cooked snow goose. Their whole conception of snow geese is that they're awful eating. Like that's, that's just the thing you hear, right? Yeah. And so they're like, why would you want to go hunt snow geese in the cold and the wind and the rain and the mud? Why would you want to go do that? That sounds miserable. When I can go on one elk hunt in beautiful country and fill my freezer. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. I'm doing the same thing. I'm filling my freezer too with with great protein. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of like, do you enjoy what you're eating, right? Like even me, when I drive, Ontario is huge, right? So when I drive yeah. to a different spot in Ontario to hunt and there's like, I'll just use Bluebill for example. Like we don't get a lot of them here, but when I go to one spot in Ontario, it's like, eh, we can get a couple and we'll put them in the pepperette pile. And then you go to a different spot in Ontario and they're like, oh, those are the best to eat. Like it, it's all just kind of like where you are and, and what you like to eat, right? But Yeah. And I, I think in general, like uh, we, we had this loss in this in North America overall, we had a, a loss of understanding um, the value of waterfowl culinarily. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a hundred years ago, canvasback was the fanciest thing you could buy at a restaurant. And now people are like, you diver duck. It's like, wait, hold on. A hundred years ago, that was the delicacy. Yeah. That was the thing people paid $120 a plate to eat. And well, adjusted for inflation. And, um, uh, you know, it's like that, uh, I think we had this period in time where less people were eating waterfowl because it wasn't market accessible anymore. And you also kind of went through like the whole TV dinner era of the fifties and the sixties after yeah. world war two. And people just kind of lost that culinary knowledge of waterfowl because Hell, I've had the same like opinion of of golden eyes for forever. Like, ooh, fish eating duck, gross, right? Yeah. And me and Ben O'Brien and Ed Anderson and uh K 
Casey Levere from Hushin, we were just um, we were hunting this winter, and like shot a couple golden eyes, plucked them, and cooked them on the stovetop, like just skin on breast with salt, pepper, seared fat, just like I would do a you know corn fed mallard. Dude, it was gr- like it was legitimately good. I absolutely say like I could taste there was a different flavor there than the teal we cooked it with. But I mean, generally speaking, like I would have served that to anyone. I would have served that to any duck hunter out there. And they probably been like, oh, that's that's pretty good. And um, <laughs> if you asked any duck hunter, they'd say like golden eyes unedible. Right. You, you can't eat golden eye. It's it's too gross. It's like, wow. I just ate it. It was really good. So I think we have a lot of misconceptions like that kind of just built into us from other people saying things and, and very few people have actually gone and, you know, cooked up golden eye or merganser or snow goose or whatever it is. And, and really like got the taste profile for themselves. Now, aside from mergansers, do you think that the flavor of the bird is a regional thing? Like, like if I shot a bird here, versus you in south dakota would it be yeah. any different flavor wise like i don't think it personally i don't i haven't traveled much outside of my area like ontario yeah. huge and i'm poor so but to me i haven't tasted any difference when i shoot one here and when i go to damien's and i shoot something there totally depends on what it is you're shooting man uh rob sawyer he's a guy from texas wrote a book called texas market hunting history and it's a really good book because of that even though the title insinuates it's just about Texas, there's a lot of valuable waterfall knowledge in that that book anyway. And one of the things that book talks about is that there was a different market for canvasbacks. Like there was two commercial canvasback markets. There was one canvasback market that was for ones from set water celery areas, Chesapeake Bay, Heron Lake, Minnesota, um, places that had known quantities of water celery that the canvasbacks could eat, which is pretty much, it's kind of like the canvasbacks eating a wild onion. So you can imagine like onion fed duck would be pretty good. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, you had a whole separate market for canvasbacks that came from places with no water celery. So like Pamlico Sound, North Carolina, uh, those canvasbacks were said to be eating fish so they actually got a lower and then there's like some chef's quotes about the the difference in taste and then there became a whole black market of like people shooting them in fish eating areas and sending them to water celery areas and then repackaging them and selling them as water celery ducks it's a whole thing uh but overall i do think you get like you do get differences regionally i've heard now i got a test it for myself because i won't believe it till i've tasted it but guys that hunt like coastal washington and oregon tell me the widgeon out there are just rough they're like ooh, they're just fishy they're gross they're like brackish water salt water widgeon and they're not good and then i come shoot widgeon in south dakota you know i'm like yeah. these things are freaking great they got this nice clean white fat they're fat they're eating a lot of smart weed and beans and corn like i can get behind widgeon like that so i do think you get regional differences 
but uh, I bet most people don't have an advanced enough palate. Like they haven't ate enough duck to really know, yeah. you know, in most cases. Yeah. Like you'd be good enough. You'd be good to say like, this is a diver versus this is a puddler, let alone like, ah, oh, that's a wood duck. That's a canvas, you know, like the species. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. But, and, and I think too, like the preparation of some of these meals that some people do like this, there's a guy here local, he's making all these meals and I'm like, shit i don't care what kind of duck is in that i'd eat the shit out of that right like <laughs> right. you know yeah. and, and i'm a big dude i i like my food so prep it up right? <laughs> yeah me too man me too and, and i find myself going like we there it's the nicest chinese restaurant which speaking of chinese restaurant there's not really a lot of nice ones but to get to a chinese restaurant that's worth eating at is like 45 minutes away from me mm-hmm. and i go there and like the first time we've been there in a few years because of covid go there and get some food and i'm like shit i wonder if i could do a duck like this like man and get some of this flavoring on a duck and that's yeah. that's where i've started getting that is like oh I wanna, i'm gonna try making a duck like this and swapping swapping recipes with different animals you know so yeah totally my my brother kind of started getting on a peking duck kick and it's like man you like put in the effort to get good at cooking duck like that or i tell people this all the time uh hank shaw has the yeah. he's got a duck larange recipe oh yeah that like i don't care who you are man you you go throw that duck larange sauce on a good like fatty duck of any kind it's gonna be tasty it's yeah. it's it's gonna be good you can serve that to anybody yeah for for those that don't know hank shaw was on the punisher waterfowl podcast there man almost a year and a half ago if you haven't checked out his video on just how to cook a simple duck breast, check that out. It's on his YouTube. It basically like you're just putting it down and you're just cooking it and you want it like almost rare. And yeah, you know, but you got to watch it and see like how he does it and how he makes sure it doesn't curl up and the, but check that out. And also it's Super Bowl day and we're talking about food and I am starving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, so, I could go for some duck nachos right now. Oh Jesus. So dude, I, I will say a lot of people should just do Mexican like try Mexican res- yeah. recipes with like snow goose and goose. Yeah. I do like fajitas all the time and yeah. it's so good. Yeah. So our snow geese in general have a reputation for being um they call them like greasy and all that shit, right? Like I've never had a problem eating geese. I cook it and I look at it like a crappy piece of, of like steak. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's how I prepare it. But a lot of people get that notion that, Oh, it's a greasy meat. Do you find that at all? Right? No, no, no. I, I think man, um, like to me, snow goose is almost like duck especially if you're getting into juvies. Um, but to me, I'd much rather eat snow goose than Canada goose. Uh, Canada goose for me, a lot of times is like a low and slow meat. Yeah. Um, like just last week, I made like a pretty much a beef stew, right? Like a vegetable beef stew um, with Canada goose because it's uh, like there's a lot of other flavors going on in there. It's a slow cooked, like it's a slow cooked meal. Um, the meat isn't the shining piece of the meal, right? Yeah. So I like doing things like that with Canada goose, but 
hell snow goose man all the time i'll just do it like fast and hot like a fajita uh like a fajita meat you know like a skirt steak it's freaking delicious but no i don't find it's greasy like it what there's no fat i mean by by, see that's just like another misnomer i mean the fat's all in the skin right there's no like there's no fat in the meat itself so Mm -hmm. um it's not really a concern no and and I think that some people they just like they've never tried it or they've never given it the chance. Yeah, they're just like talking you know, bad about it. It's just like, yeah, my great grandpa told me once, and I'm gonna believe it. You know what? Mm-hmm. Try this stuff. Like it's it it is good. Man, so what, in a modern society where like getting to go hunting gets more and more expensive, right? And getting to do these things we love, being outside, are so expensive. Um. <sighs> Man, like, you know, you can't get out of a scouting trip now without spending a hundred bucks in gas. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, like more and more, it becomes necessary for this passion of mine, waterfowl hunting, to serve another purpose, which is fill the freezer. Yep. Ten years ago, I was not that much of a fill the freezer guy. Like, it just happened, right? You had to eat all your ducks. It wasn't a thing I seeked out. My goal was to go out there and shoot a bunch of greenheads. And then like a byproduct of that was we were a bunch of broke college kids that had a bunch of meat to eat. Mm-hmm. Now that is so shifted for me. Now it's like, okay, if I'm going to spend three or four days to go on a snow goose trip uh, or go on a duck trip, like I want to bring back as much meat as possible from that trip. Um because if I if I have a good few days of hunting, man, that's that's week or two of eating. Yeah. That all of a sudden now I'm not buying any protein. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that like a lot of waterfowlers would do themselves a lot of good by realizing they can afford their habit a little more by like really taking advantage of that protein and not just being the guy that always wants to give away the duck. Yeah. And and speaking of that too, like there's a whole bunch there that you summed up and usually when I'm taking a new hunter out and showing them what the passion's about, um, the meat nowadays is something that I'm talking about secondary because they're looking at it going, well, you're going to spend $15,000 on a trailer with a full setup and the boat and the whatever. And plus your gun and your shells are costing. You're pretty much paying. If you're a shitty shot like me, you're pretty much paying the same price as meat at the kitchen for a box of shells just to shoot one bird. Right. And, right. Right. And nowadays they're like, well, shit, I can put on my VR headset, still shoot at birds, probably hit more because the thing will up my accuracy on this video game. (laughs) And then they're going to the store and they're buying the meat anyway. So I like to, the meat part of it for me is it's now become kind of a secondary thing. I'm trying to get people into it based on the camaraderie, like the, you know what, we're in a blind and we're cooking up some whatever and let's Mm -hmm. have fun with it. And that's kind of the the angle that i've swung to a lot more it it used to be like when i first started i convinced my wife like oh yeah we're gonna get all this meat and it's gonna be great Mm. and then she doesn't even eat it anyway so (laughs) (laughs) like so gotta get on that hank shaw level oh man that guy can cook (laughs) man so now what other tips would you have for new duck hunters like we've talked about you know duck identification and kind of knowing your body knowing your laws and yeah all that stuff but um 
it is an expensive hobby to get into. Is there anything super expensive, man? There's there's a lot of uh there's some studies from Fish and Wildlife Service about waterfowlers are in general younger. They spend more days in the field and they have overall ha- like much higher average income. Uh, like waterfowlers are more dedicated and spend more money and have more money to spend. And mm-hmm. that's not, um, that's not speculation. That's, uh, you know, it's fish and wildlife service information. Um, so with that being said, like getting into, it's an expensive start, right? It's not a cheap thing to start into, but my, like my, number one hot tip and this is coming from a guy that works for a decoy company right i work for lucky dog uh get on facebook marketplace and find some cheap decoys um like start there by filling out your spread and getting more i don't uh, you know it seems like back in the day a lot of guys went bigger i like get the big big foots get the big g and h super mags like get those big decoys the battleships you know get those chairs that are shaped like a goose that you can lay inside of right yeah it was like yeah and it was always about get big 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 um to me it's about more you know have more decoys allows for more shape of your spreads more like uh more natural look you know those ducks can see two ducks sitting on the river they're half a mile up and they see two ducks sitting there and they bomb right to land with them uh so so get like just more decoys um to start with and don't worry so much about quality if you want to spend the time to paint them yourself i mean hell man the mississippi river guys have and still to this day they hunt over black milk jugs Mm -hmm. right like they spray paint milk jugs like that's the bulk of their spread um now that's not to say quality painting and quality coloring and quality looking decoys doesn't matter. It does, but it doesn't matter right away when you start. So get on Facebook marketplace, find as many cheap decoys as you can build out your spread. You know, if you're going to be a water hunter, get a canoe. Like you can always find a cheap canoe on Craigslist somewhere. Um, you know, like give yourself more opportunity first to be successful and then worry about getting into quality, right? You don't need to go buy a decoy full of Dakota decoy full bodies right away, or you don't need to buy a $30,000 Excel boat full of motorized lucky duck splashers right away. Like you'll get there. You'll upgrade to there as time goes on and you get more invested and love it more, but you don't start, you don't start there. Yeah. So get on marketplace, fill a freaking truck bed full of, um you know full of decoys get some spinning wing decoys because they're your best attractant right get the lucky duck remote kit so that you can turn them off if the birds aren't playing but that's your best attractant in my eyes i mean is that spinning wing decoy at least shows them you're there and then if if you are finding the birds are stale on spinners you can always turn it off for the remote or you know let it keep running um and then so, get it silhouettes, you know, if you're going to end up field hunting, get like mm-hmm. a gear down blind because they're cheap. They're like hundred and I don't know what the gear down blind is now, like 140 bucks or something like that. And you can stubble that up. It's a low profile deal. And, you know, a bunch of the 
Dakota decoy silhouettes and like you're you're set for a field man you can hunt a field pretty cheap with that setup yeah all right on the water you kind of brought it up splashers spinners spinners, spinners are the way yeah. are the go-to right i man i so i love splashing decoys i just like i love them love them um they're expensive right so they're it's kind of a money game on that. Like if you got the money to buy a bunch of splashing decoys, do it. Cause you go look at a slough in South Dakota in October and you look at a small slough with a hundred gadwall on it. Half of them are butts up kicking feet. You know, I mean, there's a lot of splashing going on out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but bang for their buck spinners are more effective, right? Cause you can use them in a field or on water and, um, and they're just like more visible. It takes more splashers to get the same visibility of let's say two spinners or three spinners. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think you got to have both, but it, if, if I was going to, let's say I had like money's no object costs, no object. And I could go hunt with 20 spinners on water or 20 splashers on water. I'd choose the splashers, you know, that natural splashing on the water is killer, dude. Mm -hmm. but but that's you have to have more splashers to make it effective is that what you're saying yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. i think so that's yeah. my opinion all right next question would be with those spinners do you get the ones that are floating on the water or do you get the ones that are on a stake mm. see i i personally that's actually a really good question because we were just talking about this last week uh I've always just pushed my ones on the stake down till they're right above the water. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's always been good enough. Um, that being said, hunting in the mountains and hunting in like the super rocky rivers, like I was hunting the snake river um, a couple of weeks ago. When you're hunting the snake, there's nowhere to get a pole in, in the ground. It's all just river rock. Mm -hmm. So the floating spinner, is like super valuable there um so it just kind of guess depends what environment you're hunting if you're hunting a river rock type environment a lot dude i'd get the floating spinners yeah now a lot of the floaters you can put on a pole of some sort right there's pole attachments um i don't know about that one i don't think so on that one okay. um but you know if you're putting it on a pole i mean if you got a floating spinner and you hunt water most of the time like you should never need to put it on a pole. The only time you'd want to put it on a pole is, dude, that's an interesting argument or like conversation for me is some guys love super tall. Yeah. Spinner and poles. that's exactly where I was about to Not go to me. No, I love my, what do you think? I, I like mine close to the water now. Me too. Now I'm going to, I'm going to caveat that um, every year there's like three or four groups that hunt kind of the same little marsh and it's like the best marsh in the area. Like you're, you're driving pretty far to get outside where from here. And every year I'll kind of see what everyone else is doing and I'll do the fucking opposite. I'll be like, Oh, you guys are going high. I'm going low. Right. Cause if, yeah. there's, two, if there's two or three groups and they make a couple mistakes, mm -hmm. I'll try and like hunt clean as possible and do the opposite of them and look a mm -hmm. bit more different. Right. But yeah, I do prefer the floaters. I prefer them kind of low down in the water level. Um, personally, that's just, yeah, especially. Yeah, man, I'm the same way as you on that. I do have caveats as well. Uh, like early in the season, if I'm hunting a big, 
like tall cattail marsh say cattails are seven eight foot tall yeah i will try to get one or two up high if i'm in a small hole where teal can see because they just want to buzz those spinners so in that environment i do like to get a couple up high but a point i always bring up with spinners is that to me they are a wall that the ducks won't come past so you want your tall spinners to be closest to you and your short spinners to be farther from you for me generally speaking because if your farthest out spinner is on a 15 foot pole most of the time the ducks aren't going to come past that so you're kind of naturally hanging up your ducks farther behind like farther back and farther up than you would want so i i generally like my spinners closer and lower um but then maybe a couple of the close ones are a little taller than than the farthest downwind ones um but i don't know man I, there's a great like everyone's got their their takes i've got a few things that i'm like uh they're laws of nature for me <laughs> they're like uh <clears throat> they're things that like i absolutely won't do in a hunt um but but everyone kind of has their own opinion there's a guy in iowa named uh art rice and dude he's like a larger than life story guy i never got to meet him i've just only kind of heard stories he's one of those local legend guys he uh hunted an area called lake odessa in iowa and uh like what i've heard so he had one arm first off which is crazy enough that he's out there banging at ducks with one arm but he would set up 25 spinners every morning and he had poles from 20 foot tall all the way down to right on top of the water tall. And he'd put out 25 spinners on a varying pole heights from 20 feet down to two inches every morning. Jesus. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so there's guys like that. I would never do that. I mean, maybe I would try it, but the, that's not my go-to method, but that was his. So yeah. I don't know you know everyone's got their own thing wow so i guess the next question would be do you like the intermittent or the balls to the wall just keeping that thing running full tilt keep it running keep it running for me man that dude i feel like the timer mode can spook them that's always my concern yeah it's like let's say they're about to finish they're at 40 yards then all of a sudden that timer kicks on that's always my concern Cause all of a sudden that timer kicks on when it was off mm-hmm. and they're about to finish. And all of a sudden there's whoosh, flashing in front of them. Um, yeah, I, w- I personally just like it stayed on, but that's me. See, I like my floaters to have that, the intermittent. Cause it okay. just okay. in my head, I'm like, okay, if there's a bird on the water and they're just like doing just that whole that like stretching, stretching yeah. thing, you know, they do that. But the ones mm-hmm. up, if they're up high, they're on full, full blast. Like, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that thinking. That's yeah. natural. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me being stupid, but no, it, I don't it, think that's being stupid at all, man. Yeah. I think the more we can mimic the real stuff, the more we'll find success. That's mm-hmm. not to give myself away, but that's a thing that I'm going to do this fall is I'm going to take like, I, I haven't decided how many yet, but I'm going to take like 20 of our splashing duck. That's the lucky duck agitator. And I'm going to go put just 20 of them on a slough for, you know, Gadwall widgeon or whatever. Cause that's something you see all the time. Yeah. It's like a small 
20, 30 ducks sitting there splashing and every other duck around just sucks right to them. Yeah. But I don't see any other guys going and hunt like that. So I want to see how it works. Man, should I cut that out of this episode? What if the millions no, of no. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let them try it, man. I want to see someone else do it. Yeah, that that is an interesting. That is way more where my mind has gotten with waterfowl over recent years, and maybe it's because I'm spoiled and I've gotten to shoot a lot of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as much about being successful now as it is about the way I am successful, right? Mm-hmm. Like. I would rather shoot 10 ducks doing something entirely unique and different that I've never done before or hunting a new place than shoot 30 ducks the same way I've always killed 30 ducks. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was late to coming into the waterfowl. Um, mm-hmm. Like I didn't hunt as a kid. Sorry. I didn't hunt in the legal traditional sense as a, growing up. Right. Um, yeah. And then finally someone introduced me to waterfowl in my mid twenties. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is what I want to do. And lately it's become more about I'll go and sit and watch a pond of ducks and see what they're doing and learn. And then even Mm -hmm. the scouting, like when I'm taking a new person out that shows a big interest in hunting, maybe, maybe it's my bad attitude, but if they're like, Hey, if they're not willing to come in and scout and see why I'm scouting, it's kind of like, man, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Yeah. That's, that's a like thing that, uh, people ask me all the time if I would ever get back into guiding. And if I ever did, it would be because I want to show people the whole experience. Like I wouldn't have a turnkey operation where guys show up the night before at 10 PM, they get a whiskey, then they go to bed, they wake up, shoot their ducks, then go screw around all day. I would want it to be the whole dang thing. They come scouting with me. They learn how I knock on doors. They learn how I use on X. They, learn how to cook the birds. They learn how to legally transport the birds. They learn the whole thing that I do as a freelancer, mm-hmm. but just from a like outfitted capacity. Um, you know, more creating like a freelance waterfowl experience rather than a actual just guided outfit. And it would not be for most guys. Most guys no. would be like, screw that, dude. Yeah. I don't want to do that. But, you know, then then they probably wouldn't love how I do it anyway. But I think that you would see more people learning and getting into it easier if that happened. Like this would go back to the whole, the very start when we're talking about like identifying the ducks, right? If you go out and you scout and you see, holy shit, I got four flocks of mallards there. You know, you're going to get into some mallards. So then when they're flying, you can kind of, okay, those are, that's kind of what mallards look like, even if they don't come in. But if you're out there the next day and it's like, oh, there's birds flying, they could be bluebills. Well, no, we didn't scout a single bluebill yesterday, right? There's way yeah. more to this scouting than than just going out. Yeah, there's where the birds are. Let's go. No, you can see like where they're swimming, what they're doing, what species they are. And people just aren't getting that right now. Like that's kind of a missing yeah. link I found, right? So yeah, this, yeah, this October, um, like we had shot a gadwall widgeon pond and crushed them and it was great. And then we went and hunted a, uh, like a, a mallard feed kind of we got permission for a bean field next to a cornfield and same deal like crushed them um and we were like well let's let's like do something different the next day right we we're already shooting birds well 
And so the next day we were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go per- like purposely target canvasbacks. We drove around and scouted, you know, a couple hundred miles until we finally found like a good canvasback spot and crushed. Yeah. Now you talk about using Onyx. Um, and up here, we don't have Onyx in the sense that you guys have. We don't have like, we have different apps and they kind of, you might as well just use Google Earth. I find, right? Um, how do you use that Onyx down there? Like, is there more to it than just Google Earth? Yeah, man. The value of Onyx down here is, like, it's hard. It's hard to explain just how valuable it it is for us because it gives us all the landowner information, right? Mm-hmm. And it also is my catalog of past experiences. So, like, I'll know that like i'll know that this specific spot was holding a big snow goose feed three years ago right or i'll know this slough um had a bunch of widgeon and gadwall eating coontail off this island two years ago right and so you build this like catalog of knowledge and landowners that say yes landowners that say no what the waterfowl do in certain areas, even time of year, right? Um, don't get me wrong. You can create that catalog of information yourself outside mm-hmm. of Onyx, mm-hmm. but it's not It's not the convenience of just like opening yeah. the same app and having it all right there. Yeah. One of my I, good books. My, Onyx is wild. It's, you know, it's got how many states and how many places over yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. The biggest reason I brought it up was because I want them to start, you know, working on my area. But, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully hopefully soon but no i just like you were saying i got a buddy up here brendan he's been on the show and he writes down like when he finds the first bird and he's got a little pond and he'll catalog handwritten journal okay we saw the first pintail we saw the first whatever and he has it and then he can look back okay last year the first one i saw was this date and and it's pretty neat the the amount of work he's putting in to see that Right. That's super cool and oh, yeah. super valuable to do. And like, I respect the heck out of that. He does that for himself. You know, truth, truth is like six, seven years, seven years ago, like I was, I wasn't like anti on X, but I was kind of jaded about on X because they didn't have any of the landowners and counties around here. I was like, well, why would I pay for it? Um, and you know, we just always had to use like county plat books that you could go buy for whatever, 40 bucks. And, and then now, um, once they started adding all the South Dakota counties and now pretty much everywhere in the U S uh, geez, dude, like I, I can't live without it. I use it even when it's not hunting season. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I use it for everything. I use it for like, uh, sending buddies like where I'm fishing or, you know, even like, um, like line distance stuff, like how far is it to hike from point A to point B mm-hmm. or marking mushroom spots or, you know, things like that. And just like, yeah, you get kind of addicted to using it. Yeah. And I could see it being beneficial for like a big guiding company. Like, um, this, this season, every year we do a, a hunt camp and we try and just bring mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people together and, and we facilitate, I don't, we're not guides. We just facilitate these people hunting together and having a good time. Right. Yeah. And, uh, the guy that, that kind of runs it all. He's like, Hey, do you have, I think it's called I hunter up here. 
he's like, do you have eye hunter? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, get it. And the field that you guys are going to be hunting in, I'll send you the pin and then you know where to go. And I was like, oh, sure. So then I could go out and I could scout it the night before, knew exactly where it was. I just, I, on iHunter, I just clicked the pin that he sent me and I said, uh, you know, GPS there. And drove yeah. out. I could see it the night before. And like, I'm, I'm sure Onyx does all that same stuff too. So I could see the benefits of this technology for, for that kind of stuff too, right? So yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. good. So Anyway, buddy, I don't want to keep you too long because I know that there's a Super Bowl coming up today and you're probably wanting to get into her a little bit and Dude, have a little party. Whatever, whatever, man. We can talk as short as long as you want. But <laughs> No, actually, you know what? One more thing that I want to talk about. You're going to NWTF this weekend or next yeah, weekend, yeah. I guess, right? Yep, yep. So, and I went right before COVID. I went the last year that they hosted it before COVID happened and I was blown away it's a crazy place. And I was like, I'm big into turkey hunting. I love turkey hunting, but that's a spring thing. And when I went there and you could see all the, like the duck call competition and the goose call competition and some of these, it is not just turkeys, is it? No, no, not at all, man. It's, it's become, I would just say it's like the hunting expo of the Southeast at this point. Right. Yeah. It's now it, it like seems to get, people real pumped because it's right before turkey hunting gets big and obviously the south i mean the southeast is obsessed with turkey hunting that's their that's their super bowl right yeah (laughs) it's like turkey season so i i was gonna head out this year but uh didn't get the time off work still thinking i might run down for a day anyway but especially now they're bringing out that mr fox turkey vest i don't know if you saw that the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one. no i didn't see that that thing looks pretty sharp and it comes with a box of uh like it'll be limited edition numbered. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Pretty, I guess this year's the 50th uh anniversary of it of NWTF Got of it. the show. Got so it. I think there's yeah, yeah, a bunch yeah. of special stuff. So it should I, be a sweet, sweet deal this year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but if it comes out before I'm down there, uh people should swing by, say hi at the Lucky Duck booth. Yeah. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll post it on Thursday and then people can see it. And yeah. 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 Lucky ducks there. Uh, when I was there, there was like gun companies, choke companies, you know, yeah, there's uh, everything, everything yeah. you think about it. Like there, even a lot of the like clothing companies have their displays and it's not just about turkeys. So if you're a duck hunter, duck enthusiast, go check it out. See some of these calls. And I would actually say, man, uh, like for turkey hunters, duck hunters, and predator hunters all like one of the coolest things you got to check out that like lucky duck is doing has done is so we've got a line of predator calls um electronic predator calls and they've got these raccoon fight sounds on them and i tell you what you want to go down a rabbit hole you go down the rabbit hole of seeing how many raccoons are on the prairie that didn't historically live on the prairie uh, specifically, you know, anywhere from Saskatchewan all the way down to the South Central U.S. You, man, they're rough on eggs. They're like the the explosion of meso predators in North America, mid-sized predators, skunks, badgers, raccoons, um, has been really hard on ground nesting birds, and they're seeing this in turkey hunting re- or turkey research or seeing this in quail 
They're seeing this in especially ducks. Um, one of the things that is the most fun you can have with your pants on is calling raccoons. If you have not seen this, man, I'll send you a video. The so you play these raccoon fights sounds wherever you know you would think there'd be raccoons, old dead, hollowed out trees or abandoned houses or culverts. You have you have it. Those raccoons come running at you like a freaking grizzly bear. I am not kidding. They pull on bear hug tackle that call when they come running up to it like to fight another raccoon and it's fun it's a, it's a thing to do with like people that don't uh like kids right that like frankly want to pull the trigger mm -hmm. and dude if you have crp or some kind of like nesting area that you want to protect and weed out some predators around it's a fun way to it's a fun way to do it if you don't have the time to run a trap line. See, I didn't know that Lucky Duck was making those uh those predator call. I use I've always used a different companies and the uh, Fox Pro, the Fox Pros, yeah, and yep. you know call in a couple of coyotes and there I've done my benefit. And that's another thing that we've never really touched on on our podcast is like taking care of these predators that go after the eggs and the and and go after birds, right? Like so so. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I like coyote hunting. I, I see the value in coyote hunting, but the more and more I talk to the guys at Delta waterfowl and see the research they're doing, the more you kind of find that the real threat to these ground nesting birds is like skunks and raccoons, especially raccoons, man. Um, they're, they're kind of like public enemy number one on eggs really is, is raccoons yeah like way more than coyotes uh they're they're way harder on nests and nest productivity than than coyotes and uh yeah the fox pro is a great product too i ran the fox pro for years but so we've got a guy named rick paulette making our sounds and you can do some googling on it like he's just killing he's just killing it with making these sounds and dude the amount of the amount of raccoons guys can shoot in a night or even during the day i mean do it during the day all the time with this sound it's like the second you turn it on you better have that gun to your shoulder because they're coming out of that tree man it's, i'm it's cool i want to order one now because the farm that i mainly hunt turkeys on is just yeah. covered in raccoons and there's like a little, um, like it's just a storage shed. There's an abandoned house on the thing. I can't deer hunt there because all the fucking poachers come up and they're driving down the highway and the, oh, there's an abandoned house. I can hunt here. And uh -huh. the amount of times I've almost gotten into fights with these fuckers. But anyway. Is the abandoned house got like windows and everything knocked out? Oh, they're all smashed out. There's coyotes Dude. living in that thing, right? Yeah. You would call so many raccoons oh. out of that thing. I am definitely hitting you up for one of those calls. Like <laughs> yeah, this is gonna yeah, be. Yeah, we got to do that. You should just come up. We'll just spend a day like shooting raccoons, dude. It's <laughs> it's something special. I'll send you a video of it. You're gonna be addicted. Oh no, this isn't good. My wife's gonna be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Man, hey, I just something to do in the off season. Yeah, I just read they just closed the airspace at my place right now, 
for another identify unidentified what the fuck is going on like dude i, f- I don't know i <laughs> this podcast might be one of those things that they like loop back in hindsight when they make a documentary later of people going like <laughs> what was going on yeah like, right like <laughs> my buddy just like from the fire department he just sent me a message that they're closing the airspace around where we live and i'm like what are you talking about and like yeah another ident- unidentified object and like at first Dude, they it... just closed it over Haver, Montana yesterday. And then I yeah. saw Lake Michigan here like an hour ago. Yeah. So that the Lake Michigan is now there's one up this way too. drifted right? up to you. huh? Like at first I was thinking like, Oh, this is just like a super bowl ad. And like, you know, the halftime <laughs> yeah, show, there's yeah, going to yeah, be like yeah. all these floating discs. And then Rihanna's <laughs> going to jump out and boom. Like, ah, ha, ha, we got Rihanna is alien to her. Yeah. <laughs> like some <laughs> Simpson shit going on, you know, but yeah, uh-huh. whatever, who knows? So, no, anyway, man, I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm going to go see what the fuck's going on with this UFO and maybe get some guns loaded. I don't know. Yeah, just <laughs> f- finger shoot it down. Yeah. Got them. Well, that's Got like, your first alien bag limit. Yeah, right? Like, Can we, we get go- tiered licenses on aliens? Yeah. Well, when I saw <laughs> that that balloon that was going over the states, and then you're uh-huh. thinking, I'm looking at some of the states that it's supposed to be going over, and I'm thinking, how many fuckers are sitting there with a case of beer trying to take shots at it, right? Like. <laughs> If I leave, yeah, they got their 50 BMG seeing if yeah. they can pop it. Like, wonder how far I have to lead this thing, you know. Uh-huh, hey, Ma, I got uh-huh. myself a balloon. Yeah, <laughs> so, especially when it drifts over Kentucky. It's like, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of shooting going on. Yeah, no, no. Um, anything else you want to say? Or I, I guess you've kind of already said it, like, if any about NWTF next weekend. So, yeah, man, if uh, people are around, come say hi. Love meeting people. So, yeah. sounds good. We'll talk again soon, man. I appreciate it, buddy. And maybe after NWTF, we'll have a have another talk. And yeah, yeah, we'll 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 talk about you shooting some raccoons sometime. Oh man, <laughs> I'm definitely going to be doing this. Like, I got to find out. You got to send me which uh, lucky duck to buy there, which raccoon yeah. sound. This is going to be. I'm going to film that. This done done deal. <laughs> this sounds, sounds ridiculous. All right, thanks it's a lot, fun. man. We'll talk, talk to you later, Dave.